The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 3, The Guillotine. Book 6, Thermidor. Chapter 1, The Gods Are Athirst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 6, Chapter 1, The Gods Are Athirst. What then is this thing called La Révolution, which, like an angel of death, hangs over France, noyarding, fusillading, fighting, gun-boring, tanning human skins? La Révolution is but so many alphabetic letters, a thing nowhere to be laid hands on, to be clapped under lock and key. Where is it? What is it? It is the madness that dwells in the hearts of men. In this man it is, and in that man, as a rage or as a terror, it is in all men, invisible, impalpable, and yet no black Azrael, with wings spread over half a continent, with swords sweeping from sea to sea, could be a truer reality. To explain, what is called explaining, the march of this revolutionary government be no task of ours. Men cannot explain it. A paralytic couton asking in the Jacobins, What hast thou done to be hanged if the counter-revolution should arrive? A sombre Saint-Just, not yet six-and-twenty, declaring that for revolutionists there is no rest but in the tomb. A sea-green Robespierre converted into vinegar and gall. Much more an Amar and Vadir, a Colo and Biur. To inquire what thoughts, predetermination or prevision might be in the head of these men. Record of their thought remains not. Death and darkness have swept it out utterly. Nay, if we even had their thought, all they could have articulately spoken to us, how insignificant a fraction were that of the thing which realises itself, which decreed itself, on signal given by them. As has been said more than once, this revolutionary government is not a self-conscious, but a blind, fatal one. Each man, enveloped in his ambient atmosphere of revolutionary fanatic madness, rushes on, impelled and impelling, and has become a blind brute force, no rest for him but in the grave. Darkness and the mystery of horrid cruelty cover it for us in history, as they did in nature. The chaotic thundercloud, with its pitchy black and its tumult of dazzling jagged fire, in a world all electric, thou wilt not undertake to show how that comported itself, what the secrets of its dark womb were, from what sources, from what specialities the lightning it held did, in confused brightness of terror, strike forth, destructive and self-destructive, till it ended? like a blackness, naturally of Erebus, which by will of providence had for once mounted itself in dominion and the azure. Is not this properly the nature of Sanscolotism consummating itself? Of which Erebus blackness, be it enough to discern that this and the other dazzling firebolt, dazzling fire torrent, does by small volition and great necessity verily issue in such and such succession, destructive so-and-so, self-destructive so-and-so, till it end. Royalism is extinct, sunk, as they say, in the mud of the Loire. Republicanism dominates without and within. What, therefore, on the 15th day of March, 1794, is this. A suddenly really as a bolt out of the blue, has hit strange victims. 
Hébert Père Duchesne, Bibliopolist Mamoro, Clark Vincent, General Rancin, High Cordelier Patriots, Red-capped Magistrates of Paris, Worshippers of Reason, Commanders of Revolutionary Army. Eight short days ago, their Cordelier Club was loud and louder than ever with Patriot denunciations. Hébert Pay Duchesne had held his tongue and his heart these two months at sight of moderates, crypto-aristocrats, Camilla, Scalera in the convention itself, but could not do it any longer, would, if other remedy were not, invoke the sacred right of insurrection. So spake Hébert in Cordelia's session, with vivats till the roofs rang again, eight short days ago, and now, already, they rub their eyes. It is no dream. They find themselves in the Luxembourg. Guscobel, too, and they that burnt churches. Chomet himself, potent procureur, agent national, as they now call it, who could recognise the suspect by the very face of them. He lingers but three days. On the third day, he, too, is hurled in. Most chop-fallen blue enters the national agent this limbo, whither he has sent so many. Prisoners crowd round, jibing and jeering. Sublime national agent, says one, in virtue of thy immortal proclamation, lo there, I am suspect, thou art suspect, he is suspect, we are suspect, ye are suspect, they are suspect. The meaning of these things? Meaning? It is a plot, plot of the most extensive ramifications, which, however, Barère holds the threads of. Such church-burning and scandalous masquerades of atheism fit to make the revolution odious. Where, indeed, could they originate but in the gold of Pitt? Pitt, indubitably, as preternatural insight will teach one, did hire this faction of enrage to play their fantastic tricks, to roar in their Cadelia's club about moderatism, to print their Père Duchesne, worship sky-blue reason in red nightcap, rob all altars, and bring the spoil to us. Still more indubitable, visible to the mere bodily sight, is this, that the Cordelia's club sits pale with anger and terror, and has veiled the rights of man without effect. Likewise, that the Jacobins are in considerable confusion, busy purging themselves, cespoulant, as in times of plot and public calamity they have repeatedly had to do. Not even Camille de Moulin but has given offence. Nay, there have risen murmurs against Danton himself, though he bellowed them down, and Robespierre finished the matter by embracing him in the tribune. Whom shall the Republic and a jealous mother society trust? In these times of temptation, of preternatural insight. For there are factions of the stranger, de l'étranger, factions of moderates, of enraged, all manner of factions. We walk in a world of plots, strings universally spread of deadly gins and fall traps baited by the gold of pit. Klutz, speaker of mankind, so called, with his evidences of Mohammedan religion and babble of universal republic, him, an incorruptible Robespierre, has purged away. Baron Klutz and Payne, rebellious needlemen, lie these two months in the Luxembourg, limbs of the faction de l'étranger. 
Representative Felipeau is purged out. He came back from La Vendée with an ill report in his mouth against rogue Rossignol and our method of warfare there. Recant it, O Felipeau. We entreat thee. Felipeau will not recant and is purged out. Representative Fabre d'Eglantine, faved nomenclature of Rome's calendar, is purged out. Nay, is cast into the Luxembourg, accused of legislative swindling in regard to monies of the India Company. There, with his Chabot, Bazir, guilty of the like, let Fabre wait his destiny. And Vesterman, friend of Danton, he who led the Marseillaise on the 10th of August and fought well in La Vendée, but spoke not well of Rogrossignol, is purged out. Lucky if he too go not to the Luxembourg. And your prolis, goodsmans, of the faction of the stranger, they have gone. Pereira, though he fled, is gone, taken in the disguise of a tavern cook. I am suspect, thou art suspect, he is suspect. The great heart of Danton is weary of it. Danton is gone to native Arcus for a little breathing time of peace. Away, black Arachneweb, thou world of fury, terror, and suspicion. Welcome, thou everlasting mother, with thy spring greenness, thy kind household loves and memories. True art thou, were all else untrue. The great titan walks silent by the banks of the murmuring orb in young native haunts that knew him when a boy, wonders what the end of these things may be. But, strangest of all, Camille de Moulin is purged out. Couton gave as a test in regard to Jacobin purgation the question, What hast thou done to be hanged if counter-revolution should arrive? Yet Camille, who could so well answer this question, is purged out. The truth is, Camille, early in December last, began publishing a new journal or series of pamphlets entitled The Vieux Cordelier, Old Cordelier. Camille, not afraid at one time to embrace liberty on a heap of dead bodies, begins to ask now whether among so many arresting and punishing committees there ought not to be a committee of mercy. St. Just, he observes, is an extremely solemn young Republican who carries his head as if it were a saint sacrament, adorable hostie or divine real presence. Sharply enough, this old Cordelier, Danton and he were of the earliest primary Cordeliers, shoots his glittering war shafts into your new Cordeliers, your Herbert Mormoreaux with their brawling brutalities and despicabilities, say, as the sun god, for poor Camille is a poet, shot into that python serpent sprung of mud. Whereat, as was natural, the Abertus python did hiss and writhe amazingly, and threaten sacred right of insurrection, and, as we saw, get cast into prison. Nay, with all the old wit, dexterity, and light, graceful poignancy, Camille, translating out of Tacitus from the reign of Tiberius, pricks into the law of suspect itself, making it odious. Twice in the decade his wild leaves issue, full of wit, nay, of humour, of harmonious ingenuity and insight, one of the strangest phenomenon of that dark time, and smite in their wild, sparkling way at various monstrosities, saints, sacrament heads and juggernaut idols in a rather reckless manner to the great joy of Josephine Beauharnais and the other five thousand and odd suspect who fill the twelve houses of arrest, on whom a ray of hope dawns. 
Robespierre, at first approbatory, knew not at last what to think, then thought with his Jacobins that Camille must be expelled. A man of true revolutionary spirit, this Camille, but with the unwisest sallies, whom aristocrats and moderates have the art to corrupt. Jacobinism is in uttermost crisis and struggle, enmeshed wholly in plots, corruptibilities, neck-gins and baited fall-traps of pit, enemy de genre humain. Camille's first number begins with, O oh, Pit! His last is dated 15 Pluvios, year 2, 3rd February 1794, and ends with these words of Montezuma's, Les dieux en soif! The gods are athirst. Be this as it may, the Ebertists lie in prison only some nine days. On the 24th of March, therefore, the revolution tumbrils carry through that life-tumult a new cargo. Hébert, Vincent, Momoro, Rancin, nineteen of them in all, with whom, curious enough, sits Clutes, speaker of mankind. They have been massed swiftly into a lump, this miscellany of nondescripts, and travel now their last road. No help. They too must look through the little window. They too must sneeze into the sack. Etonner dans le sac. As they have done to others, so it is done to them. Saint Guillotine, meseems, is worse than the old saints of superstition. A man-devouring saint? Clutes, still with an air of polished sarcasm, endeavours to jest, to offer cheering arguments of materialism. He requested to be executed last, in order to establish certain principles, which philosophy has not retained. General Rancin, too, he still looks forth with some air of defiance, eye of command. The rest are sunk in a stony paleness of despair. Mamoro poor bibliopolist, no agrarian law, yet realised they might as well have hanged the Edevreux twenty months ago when Girondin Bouzeau hindered them. Hébert Père Duchesne shall never in this world rise in sacred rite of insurrection. He sits there low enough, head sunk on breast, red nightcaps shouting round him in frightful parody of his newspaper articles, Grand Colère of the Père Duchesne. Thus perish they, the sack, receives all their heads. Through some section of history, nineteen spectre chimeras shall flit, speaking and gibbering, till oblivion swallow them. In the course of a week, the revolutionary army itself is disbanded, the general having become spectral. This faction of rabids, therefore, is also purged from the republican soil. Here also the baited fall-traps of that pit have been wrenched up harmless, and anew there is joy over a plot discovered. The revolution, then, is verily devouring its own children. All anarchy by the nature of it is not only destructive, but self-destructive. End of Book 6, Chapter 1